how goes the Penang crowd? <laughs> it's not too hot for you? So see. This is your weather, isn't it? Yeah. Sri Lanka weather too. Yeah, very hot today, my brother said. Yeah? Yeah. I just read that China's building a new city outside Colombo. Right, yes. That's, it's like weird, isn't it? <laughs> Not only that China was uh, Thank the, you. the southernmost trip in Sri Lanka. That was, uh, they built, uh, the former government built the uh, harbor. Yeah, right. It's on the Silk Route. Yeah, I was reading all that. Now it has been taken over by the Chinese. <coughs> anyway. Time to come down for that one be in Sri Lanka. Yeah, it looks that way. The Japanese, the Panalia, the sold to India. They'll all have to come and live in Barhaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad you have to it's laugh, very, don't you? Very much so. Very much. It must be very painful to see that, your country. And yeah. What is more painful is the corruption. Yeah. And this is what gets me. That's why it's happening. Yeah, there's, there's no refuge in nationality. Yeah, the refuge isn't something else. So what should we talk about besides cheese and juice? <laughs> Any questions or thoughts or what we could chat about? One question I'll jump is mm-hmm. My understanding is there are two schools of thoughts about jhanas, whether it's really uh, necessary for awakening. Right, that's the million dollar question in Theravada Buddhism, isn't it? Well, you want my answer? (laughs) Well, you you obviously need samadhi. So what is samadhi? Well, it's a capacity to know the way things are, sustained through through time. And the way things are, are like this. Okay? Life is like this now. now. Before you say anything about it, like before I say the cheese is nice, or it's hot, or it's cold, or I'm tired, it's like this. So there's a there's a sense of dhar- dharma is the way things are. And then the, the problem we have is that we, the natural flow of things we get caught up into because we want it to be other than it is. So desire arises, right? Jeez. <laughs> um, so the problem is not that we don't see the way things are, we attach to desire, we want them to be other than they are, we don't want them to be the way they are, we want something else, etc., etc. And so we get caught up into that. And the freedom from that is to let go of attachment to that desire. Now, we can have desires like, I want some fruit juice and, and all the rest of it, which is natural, but the kind of constant preoccupation with objects and things to find fulfillment, to find satisfaction, to get away from loneliness and all the rest of it. 
this constant restlessness in the mind um, is very much built upon the desire for the pleasant and the aversion to the unpleasant, right? Simple enough. So if, if um, like, like I, I, I enjoy this and it tastes good and I get very much attached to apple cider and then one day we don't have it and I want the apple cider and I notice I become habituated to apple cider I see my annoyance that I don't have apple cider I notice it as an, an object and I see it cease no problem right that's samadhi sama samadhi it's right attention and I understand arising and ceasing but if I don't notice that I don't notice that I'm missing my apple cider and I think well, what kind of a place is this I mean I'm the, I'm the abbot I should be getting apple cider <laughs> and then I start to jump on William's case hey man did you drink all the apple cider <laughs> right so then desire creates a sense of self uh, and creates aversion and I'm caught you know I'm caught in this trap of attachment to the movement of things so um, and that's fair, fairly simple, but let's say uh, I feel uh, lonely. Uh, and, and loneliness isn't as simple as apple juice. Loneliness is more profound. Or I feel self-doubt, or I feel inadequate, or I suffer from social perfectionism, or something like that. And those things are much, much stronger. But it's the same problem. It's the problem of attachment. So there's this flow of conscious events dependent on sense, on sense basis, touching things and hearing things and thinking things. And that's natural. So for me to be hungry is natural. For me to feel my hunger is slated through food is natural, right? Um, anger is natural. Sexual desire is natural. Love is natural. These are all parts of nature. Um, so samasamati within Four Noble Truths, right, is, it, it, you know, I always look at it in that context, what, what kind of samadhi do I need to let go of desire, to come to non-desire? Because in non-desire, you don't get what you want, you get freedom from wanting. Yeah? That's very important, that the freedom that the Buddha is talking about isn't the freedom, isn't, isn't the happiness of getting fruit juice. You know, it's a happiness of not needing fruit juice. It's simplistic. So it's a different kind of happiness. It's, and the levels of that are very, very profound because the levels of suffering that we have are profound around fear, around ego, around desire. So it's not so simple. Uh, Self-identity is very, very strong. Competition is very, very strong. So, so what, do we, what do we need to do to sustain a mind which knows movement and doesn't get caught up in it. Well, we need some kind of presence, right? And we need a presence which is sustained and still, and so on. So, um, samasamadhi, to me, it has to be somehow within that. If you just take samasamadhi as like you have to get this concentration thing, and you don't take it in the context of Four Noble Truths, then it has no real context. It's just this thing you have to get called 
absorption or, or whatever. So I think if you think, if you if you ponder it that way, where does it fit in the letting go of suffering? And what is suffering? All right. And then if you apply it more to your own mind, where is it that you lose the plot? You know, where is it where the sense of self gets really um, lost in the moment? Maybe it's around uh, resentment or self-doubt or fear. I mean, it's just a blabbering mind, right? All that. So, where in you uh, is 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 presence not very profound? Where where what what kind of characteristics in you get lost and confused? And that's where you have to develop some samadhi. So, obviously, the more I can sustain sense of presence with the way things are, the more profound I see the stillness of the mind, and the more profoundly we notice the stillness of the mind, the more uh, we uh, appreciate uh, something which is not dependent on the conditions, not dependent on fruit and so on. So stillness is very important, because as long as I'm just, as my mind is reacting to things, um, I'm never going to really notice the, the unconditioned, deathless. So then when we talk about jhanas, it tends to be two ways. One is the way of attainment, and one is the way of reflection. And then the way I've learned about it is more like the way of reflection. And then you think about the jhana factors. And jhana factors are things that you can actually contemplate, right? And things that you have to get. And they are vitaka vichara, you've probably read about that. And what does that mean? It says, the way it's translated is it's Vitakvijara's thinking and it's the application of attention through thought. So when you are let's say you're 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 uh, you're worried about your daughter's career in law, right? And and then, you know, your your uh, this worry comes up and then you get lost in the worry. What's she going to do? Where's her career going to go? And so on and so forth, right? So what would Vitaka and Vijara be there? Well, to me it would seem, oh, this is worry. Right? You'd identify it and you'd have samadhi. You'd have some sense of presence around worry. Vitaka Vijara, right? And at some point you wouldn't have to name it. You would just know this is worry. You'd know what it is. Okay? And then what would worry do to you mentally? And physically, well, create tension. It would create um, mental tension and physical tension. So, piti sukha are defined as you know this like bliss, right? So you think, well, I got to get this bliss stuff, and that's where you get really, really lost. You think, oh, gee, I haven't had bliss for years, <laughs> right? Oh, just a bit of bliss, please, and you're just falling asleep, right? And, so you, you start to kind of set up something which is almost impossible to get. You know, it almost sounds like taking acid when you read about it. <laughs> For those who have <coughs> taken acid. <laughs> uh, or some kind of psilocybin or, or hallucinogenic kind of experience, right? So it kind of gets like way out there. But, but if you, the way I've been taught, if you reflect on it, like, Pitti and Sukha, what would it mean in terms of the mind being relaxed and the body being relaxed? You could see, well, there's something about worry that you, you clench around and your mind gets tight and your, and your body gets tight. So you can say, how could I just relax with this? 
or how could I just make my mind at ease? And you can see if you if you are aware of worry as an object, and 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 you labeled it worry, and you opened your mind to a sort of large presence, and and you took refuge in awareness rather than in the worry, and you saw the desire. You saw that the problem is that you want Cheryl to be happy, which is what a dad should do, right? I don't. I want her to be unhappy. Yeah, it's not nature. So nature is saying, you know, protective and so on. But, but if you attach to that desire, you start to worry, and then you, oh, okay, okay. The the reason there isn't pity and sukha now is attachment to desire, and it's it, it's not that you shouldn't have it. It will come up because you're, you know, you're you're biologically connected and so many other things natural. But now, you, oh, uh, I want I want security, whatever. You see, look at the wanting. So then, your, your, your vitaka vijara applies itself to the Four Noble Truths, which is that the cause of suffering is attachment to desire. And then you say, well, that's where the worry is coming from, and then you've got a problem. How do you, you, know, how do you let go of this, right? It's so embedded. So then your mind wants to go to worry, and you say, oh no, worry's this way. And then you have the problem of, of bearing with unfulfilled desire, because you don't know. Features unknown. You do all you want, you, you just don't know. And, and then you see the difficulty of, of like relaxing the mind or being happy in the heart is this attachment to worry and the attachment to desire to have comfort and safety for my children, which is natural. So, you know, it's not like you dismiss that, but you see, oh, okay, that's where I need to have enough samadhi around that issue. And that takes you to upeka. Like the upeka is like this kind of, or 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 to ekakata, which is the kind of one pointedness of mind. We say, and what 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 might one pointedness mean? Well, it might just mean presence. You could say one pointedness on an object, or you could say one pointedness in time. If you take it in time, they say, oh yeah, okay. What what happens with worry? Worry goes to the future, past, future, past, and it's never. And then you take it present moment awareness. Worry is this way. Ah, okay. And you start to really use Vitaka Vijara um, and, 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 and look at worry and feel worry until you begin to understand it. As you begin to understand it, as you begin to understand desire, you have joy. You know, because you've, you've, you've sussed something out about your own attachment, about, you know, the way your mind works. The, the five, the, um, the jhana factors are also, um, they're, you know, if you look at the whole package about Sama Samadhi uh, in, in kind of classic um, definitions of, of, of right concentration, you have, first of all, that you have faith in the Buddha, or faith in, 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 in the possibility of enlightenment. Like, it doesn't have to be doctrinal, I believe in Buddha, but it's more like, yeah, I can, I can, I can do this. This is possible. So when, when you see the classic definitions, you take refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. But what does that mean? To me, and that means it's like, it, it, to me it's optimism. It's not just uh, dualistic uh, devotion like to a deity. It's not that. It's more like, yeah, the Buddha said I can do this. I can do this. So it's like, like a positive. And then, and then in, in the classical definitions, there's also you do the Metta Sutta, loving kindness. Right? So those are two things already in place. 
that that are are are, are expected of you. Then you have the five hindrances, right? Dullness, restlessness, uh, doubt, uh, love and hate, these kinds of things, and you've got those sorted out too. You know, so there's a whole kind of package there before you even get you know talk about the jhana factors, and then you have the jhana factors. So if you just take uh, I have to get first jhana as a kind of abstract without this whole context, it, to me it just is it's too. It's too much like winning the lotto or getting something, and it, it can be very invested with a sense of self, me becoming something and getting something, which is the very problem, you know, sakaiditi. So if you if you if you if you back off, because some teachers have said you have to get jhana before you you know before you win the lotto or whatever, um, and then you feel very intimidated, but they don't even tell you what it is. And so you're looking for something, you don't even know what you're supposed to be looking for, which to me is like... And then they, and they'll, and they'll tell you whether you have it or not. I mean, you, you can't win. Because <laughs> it's up to them rather than up to you. But you can reflect on faith. You can reflect on metta bhavana. You can reflect on the five hindrances and you can reflect on the jhana fact. So these things you can do. Um, and, and so all that... So yeah, yeah, you need, you need a, a, a pretty stable mind to understand suffering, the end of suffering, right? But, so you have to kind of be careful of how you define that. So if you say, well, you don't need first John, you need first, you know, then it's just, uh, um, I don't think it takes the whole context. It's a bigger thing than, than just this kind of attainment. And attainment, you know, there are the, you know, there are, there are kind of attainment teachings and they're very, they're very dangerous because, you know, you get so greedy for it. I'm going to get this thing, whatever, whatever it might be, and 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 the whole problem is sakaya ditti, you know, sense of self becoming something other than the present moment. Whereas, the letting go of desire, it's not something you become. You know, something you realize, and that's the third noble truth. And you know, when you let go of desire, man's mind is really happy, really happy. So if you if you if you rephrase the question, what kind of focus and, 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 and presence do I need to let go of desire? Well, I need a focus and presence which has intelligence, which can investigate desire, which can see where the problem is. So then you'll, you'll, you'll you know, you'll, you'll, someone will tell you something else. No, no, very dumb is full of crap. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You need first jhana. And then you'll have doubt. You say, oh, really? Yeah, I better get it. Now, if you're practicing awareness, you know, all doubt feels this way. I don't know. This is what doubt feels like. And then you're aware of a condition. But if you believe that person, then you run with it. Yeah, I have to get this. Then you'll try to get that. What it, what, what, it, what is it? So it's not... I mean, you have to be careful just to believe things, right? Ajahn Chah was once asked him, do you believe in... Uh, he was asked, can you, come on in, please. He was asked uh, if he believed in rebirth or something like that. Or to, to be told, he asked, what was it? He, I think that the question was something about re- rebirth. And Ajahn Shah said, if I told you, would you believe me? And the guy said, yeah. He, Ajahn said, you're a fool. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what you want to be careful of, of, of teachers. 
that they've, you know, every, every teacher's been around for a while, you know, we come from our confidences and so on. But if that's what your practice is, you know, like how many times have you asked this question? A few times. Yeah, okay. And you get a few different answers. I think more important is that why, why do you ask it, right? What is it about the mind which isn't confident? Uh, and you won't get your confidence from someone else. So, so to look at that whole thing about having a doubt, because the, the, fetter of, the third fetter is doubt, and the, and, one of the, and the fifth hindrance is doubt, right? And, and, and to just know doubt is doubt as an object, rather than be the person that needs an answer, is the freedom from doubt. You can doubt, but if every time you have a doubt you need an answer from me, you, you're never going to be free, are you? Or from Tejaniya, or from Ajahn Chah, or, or you know, from the Lord Buddha, or something, <laughs> right? So, so it's, it's, I think it's also very important just to look at, at not knowing, right? Uh, and, and not just getting caught in... Well, well going beyond intellect, because the thing about doubt is it's always dependent on thought, and silence is not dependent on thought. Is it silence is dependent on the end of thought? And that's where you want to go to. You don't want to go to more answers. Uh, yeah, so that's my answer. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I can say it works for me, makes sense to me. Um, and like uh, that question has been asked, you know since the time of the Buddha. There were, apparently, there were two scholars, one in Burma, one in Sri Lanka, who argued with each other for 10 years over, with, in, with pamphlets. Scholars do pamphlets, right? They don't do Facebook. <laughs> this was 50 years ago or whatever. About the necessity of first jhana for Sotapati, right? That's the classic. And, you know, it's just like each one was quoting chapter and verse for ten years. But that was just all intellect, you know, it's just thought. First of all, Sotapati, that gets kind of very, you know, in, in, infinite arguments about that, right? So all those kind of attainment arguments don't address the issue of the end of, end of suffering. They kind of, they, they, they don't address craving and the end of craving. So if you take the Four Noble Truths, and don't worry too much about that, look at, look at the attachment to craving, let go of that, then you're on the path for sure, right? And, and one of the things that we have, we crave, is, is, is assurance that we're doing the right thing. Huh? Um, yeah, I'm, so I say to you, yeah, you're on the right path. Oh, great. And then he says to you, no, you're not. I'm from Burma. <laughs> No, you're not. Yes, you are. No, you're not. And, and, and <laughs> but it, you know for yourself that you have doubt. And you know for yourself when you don't have doubt. And doubt comes and goes. And that knowing, that knowing is neither confidence or doubt. Because confidence is a mood. And doubt is a mood. But the knowing is not a mood. And that's where you find your freedom. You know, that's where you find your refuge. And then desire keeps fooling you. 
So, so like when you have like a question, am, am, am I doing well? Who is the one that is thinking that? The very sense of I am someone who has to attain something, that's what you have to question. I am someone who is now just your garden variety meditator and I'm not getting anywhere, you know, and I've been practicing, but if I keep working diligently, maybe in, in 10 lifetimes, you know, I'll have satapati, right? Which is just a bunch of thought. <laughs> but if you look at, well, who is this I? There's silence. There's no one there, right? And it's that kind of investigation which is much more profitable, I think, than the these kind of hang-ups that Theravada, you know, I think that's kind of a hang-up that Theravada Buddhism has around that. You know, it just gets talked about so, so, so much. And yet, you know, you get these differing answers. And, and uh, you know, where does freedom lie? It doesn't lie in that kind of opinion. You know, it's not an opinion. Like, awareness is not an opinion, is it? Right? It, no, you know, you can know an opinion, yeah, Virudhamma was talking a little bit of nonsense, or, ooh, yeah, that was cool, or whatever you want to think. That's just an opinion or a perception. But knowing the awareness, it's not a perception. And that's really, that's the interesting bit. That's really, so maybe in terms of samasamadhi, how can you, how can you sustain that pure awareness? That's a more interesting question. Rather, how can I get something? And that, I think, is uh, much more fruitful for me. Okay. So, don't ever ask that question again. <laughs> <laughs> That's one question he gets. Another one is, is uh, how does rebirth work? <laughs> I get that one all the time. And I, I say, how many times have you asked that? And, yeah, I ask every monk that. <laughs> What's your answer? Well, I kind of... It depends on the person, right? I poke fun at them or... I usually say I don't know. Of course I don't know. (laughs) Mampu, there's so much material right now about ultimate reality and quantum physics. Mm -hmm. Is that just going nowhere? Well, if you are Einstein, no, 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 seriously, I'm not kidding. If you're Einstein, you, his capacity to understand time warping, right, to me seems beyond intellect, right? So there's something about that kind of a mind which I can't understand. It's beyond me. And so what someone like that sees in terms of nature, right? Um, as opposed to someone who figures out it intellectually, who gets the theory given to them, and they can kind of go with it and figure it out. But in terms of Buddhism, we're, we're not trying to define an ultimate reality. You know, we're taking the Four Noble Truths and it's the cause of suffering is attachment to desire, right? And that, that the, the perpetuation of that is through a false identity with the five khandhas, through self-identity with the five khandhas. And that false identity has to be challenged, right? So we're not, we're not trying to find an ultimate reality. 
And even if you if you have uh, a mind that can perceive in ways which are unfathomable to you, you might still suffer. You might still like um, be annoyed that you that your wife didn't do the eggs right or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, they say that Einstein did suffer because he couldn't uh, bridge the macro universe with the micro universe. Still desire, yeah. That. So that's a that's a, that's a it's an interesting realm in human consciousness, right? Um, um, I think you want to not conflate the two. Because quite often what Buddhists like to do is show off and say, yeah, we are modern, we're science, right? But that's just ego. That's Buddhist ego, right? But that's not what it's about, right? It's not to show off and say, you know, we're cool. Because that's silly. It's like, you know, my hockey team's the best hockey team kind of thing. But rather it's about freedom from, from ego. Freedom from that sense of separation and comparison and all the rest of it. Uh, but, not like Stephen Hawkins, what he sees, you know, what he saw in the inner, I don't know, I don't know what is mine, around those, that sense of, the deep sense of emptiness that we get in meditation. I guess that's the, in terms of ultimate reality, it's that deep sense of emptiness and silence which is profound and is from a kind of Buddhist background, do these great minds, you know, does that, those insights come from that great emptiness? I don't know, you know, because it's, I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out calculus <laughs> at that level. But, so, like, when you have words like ultimate reality and so on, it always sounds like a thing. And and then it, then it sounds like your that your your meditation will realize this thing, or that you'll have a kind of a Nietzsche insight and bang, you know, it kind of all end. But awareness of change is actually very much more ordinary and much more present and here and now. So that that sense of isness or suchness or here and now is a different way of talking about ultimate reality, because ultimate reality is just now. That's real. Right? And, 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 but it's ordinary, so that's real. And then I call it a bell. That's perception. So rather than make ultimate reality something other than this moment, it is this moment. And that's what we mean by refuge in Dharma. When you are awake to suchness, aware of the way things are, then that's refuge. And then, of course, your mind is always creating self and thinking and past and future and why did they do that and I'm going to do that. You know, it's actually very, very difficult to take refuge in isness, suchness. And yet you can do it when you're eating your salad. Whereas if you start, if you, if you create ultimate reality as this huge scientific thing you have to realize, then what's eating, you know, what's eating your salad got to do with anything? And yet in the tasting of salad, just as it is, there's suchness. Now the, 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 the irony of this is, is the sensualist tastes the salad for the experience of pleasure. So they want 
Italian vinegar dressing rather than, I don't even know dressings, <coughs> French dressing, thank you very much, right? So the sensualist tastes the salad or spices up the salad in order to have pleasure. The contemplative tastes all salads as the same. They just taste. There is tasting. There is just taste. Right? And it's <laughs> so it's a kind of ironic thing that both are tasting the salad, but one is seeking pleasure, the other is knowing the way things are. You get it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So French tastes this way. Italian tastes this way. Not that you can't have preferences, but you see that attaching to preferences is suffering. Okay? And then, sure, you put you know, milk in your coffee or whatever. It's, it's not like you're hurting yourself. But you begin to appreciate presence, suchness, in the ordinary. It's really quite beautiful. It's very elegant. Very, very elegant. And people think, well, it can't be that. It must be. I must have to be sotapati and, you know, and and I have to realize the ultimate reality. So it's just something always far away, right? For arahants in the future, and, and you know, I have to make a lot of merit now, and, and, but that's all just thought, isn't it? It's just production of cultural thought. So cultural thought in Sri Lanka might be that there are no more arahants, right? You, that's one, sometimes you hear that. <laughs> there are no more arahants left in the world. And what the heck does that mean? Who, how do they know? <laughs> Who told them? Right? And, and, and so on and so forth. But in the, you know, this moment, if you just stop and listen, no desire, stay with that for ten days. <laughs> and that's where you see the problem of samadhi. You can, you can awaken any moment, you can listen to the fan, And there's no suffering. But you'll find if you try to listen to the fan, at some point the mind will create a memory or a thought, you know, it'll start, ooh, off it goes. So, here's to ultimate reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't you? Um, I have a question about. Um you were giving the example earlier about being able to name what's happening for you, like, oh, this is worry, or this is loneliness, and that helps to create, um, to maybe stop the attachment to a story and to stay with. Can be helpful, yeah, or yeah. can be unhelpful, both. And so I've had this recent experience where um, I, maybe I'll start with the question. The question is, I don't always know what I'm feeling. I can't find that word that matches the experience, if that makes sense. So don't, you don't need it. It's just a, it's just a skillful means which becomes a hang-up when you're trying to find a word for it. But if I just say, what's it like now? It's like this. Mind silent. So if you, you know, it's usually desire, it's doubt. You know, doubt is always trying to find an answer. So we, 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 we oftentimes, doubt's a very subtle kind of a thing. And just to, 
you know, you know, so you get this idea like labeling, you label it and so on, and then you start to look for the label. You don't see the being looking for a label. But you don't have to know, you don't have to name this, this moment is, has no real label. I could say it's peaceful or whatever, but it's not, it's just this. So just begin with the ordinary, just, you know, just, just sitting around and finished. Nothing you find, really. So trying to find a label is, is already become, you know, it's still a sense of desire and definition and so doubt. The context in which I was trying to do it is a little bit in terms of backwards mapping, where I, if an activation has happened and I find myself behaving in a certain way, there was a sense like, oh, I know something, some kind of self-consciousness has been activated. So I'm trying to understand like the triggering, but is that like? Yeah, but you're not I in the present moment then. Out into the Trust in the present moment, mm -hmm. and and just see that's memory. You know, like like let's say, um, let's say one of the bhikkhus insults me, which just hasn't happened. Whoever insults me, right, and. Or I perceive they insulted me, right? And then I come in here and I'm talking to you. And, and then what's going to come up is a memory. It's, I get triggered. Yeah. And the memory's going to be, even though I'm talking to you, there'll be the mood, bloody hell, right? And that's memory. That's all it is. And the memory keeps coming in, creating the mood. And because I'm so habituated to memory and mood, I just keep, oh, I'm going to get him. And I'm talking to you, and I'm being very charming, right? Right? But back in my mind, there's the memory. So just just knowing that that things get triggered, and then the memory keeps reinforcing them, is a big insight. It's just memory. Yeah. And then and then what you can do is you can just like touch something hard. Yeah. That's reality. And then the memory wants to come up. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's real. And you see, oh, memory is just a thing. Whereas what we usually get, the memory is such a haunting thing that we're just kind of wrapped up in it, trying to figure it out, trying to analyze it, trying to get rid of it, thinking, you know, we're just getting caught in the narrative, getting caught in the story. And we never, we never just, quite often we don't shift away from it. So what you, you know, classically in Buddhism, what you do is you go to another sense door. Now, now, modern, you know, Western psychology was so hung up on repression at one time that if you didn't, well, you know, kind of go for it, then you were repressing it. Well, it's true that we can repress things, but that doesn't mean that everything that comes up and you don't follow it, you're repressing. It's just not going there, right? So, if I'm... If I'm suffering post-traumatic stress disorder or something, and and a memory gets triggered, and maybe, yeah, okay, I have to learn how to be with that. But if I just, one of my old triggers gets, gets loaded by something, and that memory's there, I can just go to another sense door. I don't have to go there. I don't have to fall over that. But I'm not repressing, I know fully what I'm doing, you know, fully what I'm doing. So the problem often happens is that we, we, we just, it's like a loose tooth we keep playing around with. Uh, we just get, why is that? Oh, I so we, we don't really let go of it. You kind of know it's there, but you still, the sense of self is engaged with it. Me and my problem, and you know, this triggering, and this self, you know, and all this. 
and, 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 and there's no real awareness of that whole structure. Whereas awareness is not in thought. Awareness is not a thought. So thinking mind, the doubting mind, self-doubt, those are, are very strong attachments that we habitually think will solve our problem. But they don't. They just keep recreating the same self-doubt. Whereas just touching solid, don't go there. Right? Trust that. Just trust another sense door. And then it's very, so you eat your salad. <laughs> so we talk about mindfulness, right? But, but a lot of people talk of, use mindfulness as control. So it's more like, okay, I'm going to eat this cheese and not think. You know, I got to read. I thought, oh no. But that's, it's not control, it's just, oh, suchness, presence. So it's relaxed, right? With so much of our life is like controlling, you know, trying to be a meditator or get somewhere. So when you see memories triggered, oh, memory, and then you learn not to go there. In, in the various ways we go there, through self-analysis. And our culture is very hung up on figuring stuff out. And, and we're so, so over-psychologized by the readings we've had. And, and then, you know, the kind of fear of being repressed and all that Freudian nonsense. I mean, there's so much garbage that's gone through Western culture. It's <laughs> <that, laughs> confusing. I'm reading a book called Selfie. Oh. Great book. It's the develop of, development of narcissism in Western culture. Just the crazy stuff that's going on, right? In terms of, like, positivism. Yeah. And how, when was it, in the 90s, all like, parents were encouraged to just praise kids all the time. So if they got 12th pace in a, in a race with 12 kids, they got a ribbon for 12th yes. place. So there's a kind of... Um, increasing importance in, 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 in narcissism. Me as a person and so on and so forth. And the Buddha's teaching is saying, this is just, this is just stuff. Don't, you know, don't, don't get so caught up in the moods. And It's not who you are, right? It's like really, it's a different perspective. So because of, I think, a lot of our Western culture, the very ideas of mindfulness get kind of contorted into into a kind of narcissistic self-concern mm-hmm. right and 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 become selfish <laughs> in, in, a, in a weird kind of way and it becomes more like self-improvement but the Buddhism isn't about self-improvement it's about living in boundaries which are wholesome and good but it's going to a different place and that's that's awareness of change yeah. So the, the, the tendency to self-define and, you know, self-criticize and self-analyze and self-disparage and, you know, that's all kind of narcissism. It's better than arrogant narcissism because it doesn't afflict me. So I'd much rather have you hate yourself and hate me. <laughs> but it's still the same, the same project, isn't it? It's still the same kind of thing. So this kind of preoccupation with thought. Whereas if you learn how to just go to simple places of no thought, fan, 
you know, and just keep doing that. It's, it's very, very simple. Is there a um, Sutta reference to um, going through another sense door? Is that kind of a... Majima 20, I think. Thank you. I think it's the... I wish I knew my Pali. Has anyone got a Majima here? I'm one of the few suttas I know. <laughs> It's the five ways of dealing with distracted thought. The taka, yeah, twenty. The removal of distracting thoughts. Wonderful, thank you. I'm a twenty, but but you know you you know you have to interpret that. You know it, it gives you a a way of working. So so what does that mean in my mind? Sure. Yeah, what might that mean? Linda, are you following all this stuff, or is it all gobbledygook? <laughs> yeah, I'm following this, okay. sometimes it's like... What are they talking about? Today <laughs> I'm following Because there's old jargon we use, and you know, I just take it for granted that people know it, so... When the monk from Canada was here, it, uh, last time I was visiting, he, he talked about a lot of things that I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> the monk from Canada? Uh, or not Canada, yeah. um, England. England, I'm sorry. Amaro. Yes, Amaro. I had no idea what he was talking about <laughs> most of the time. Well, his name means the deathless. I mean, <clears throat> what kind of a name is that? <laughs> <laughs> He's got the gift of the gap. Yes, yes. He was in. He was I in. Enjoyed he, he was in drama before he became a monk. Okay. He arrived at the monastery with a big afro. <laughs> <laughs> he looked very cool. <laughs> so his total mass really yeah, reduced. Yeah. Reduced. <laughs> his head decreased in size. He's got the most uh, probably complicated position in our Western monasteries. He's the abbot of uh, Amaravati, which is our biggest monastery. It's the most most complicated place, and uh, he does a great job. Yeah, it's, it's a tough, and he's just such a strong and and a happy presence there. Mm -hmm. very, very capable man. Loves writing. Publishes about four books a year and. Yeah, he's amazing. The observing mind is like, uh, you know, seeing things through the six senses, the cause and condition. Mm -hmm. like, uh, for instance, um, when I came, I saw Ajahn, uh, you know, the moment I just look at just look at the Ajahn face and straight away the memory probe. You knew who it was. You know, so mm -hmm. there's this, why this memory? Yes, I have seen Ajahn, you know. It's very fast, it's just memory came up. Yeah. At this side of Dejaniya in Burma, mm -hmm. you know. And straight away the observing mind is like, uh, oh, 
there's this link, cause and condition. It, it's just like uh, no one there. It's just like, yeah. yeah, you know, no one there. This memory is just pops up due to cause and condition. Mm-hmm. There's a sight, there's a contact, there's an object, you know. And, and perception. Perception, yes. Right. And, you know, so you see the linkage, the connection, cause and condition. And that's how, you know, there's no one there and it just pops up from nowhere. Right. Because of contact through sight. And like uh, the same thing like sister, a few days ago when she arrived and I saw her also just very familiar, you know, it's cause and condition because of a contact. Yeah. And the question there is? It's like um, important, is it important like uh, to see this uh, cause and condition because it's like uh, so frequently. That, yeah, I mean, that's the way it works. That's the way it is, yeah. You know, when I, when I see this bowl, I know that it's not a soup bowl. Yeah. I could use it as soup bowl. Monks would be disgusted, but, but I know from perception and usage that it's a bell. So if I didn't have that in the mind, I couldn't function. I'd, I'd have Alzheimer's, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that's a necessary part of... I know, I know this is William, I know this is Christopher, and so on and so forth. So there's nothing right or wrong yeah, about it, right? Yeah. And, and that's the way the mind works. But um, where it gets perverted is when the perception is infected by greed, hatred, or delusion. So let's say I am, I have a problem with people wearing white, right? <laughs> right? And so, I've never met these two chaps, right? And they come in wearing white, you know, and I have an aversion to them, right? Now that perception is tainted by uh, some kind of history, you know, maybe I got beat up by people who wore white or something. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> but, so then, it's not just a human being or whoever, it's someone who is a threat and, and, and so on. But if I see a bear, you know, a, a, a black bear, that threat is natural. You know, it's, it's, it's wholesome for me to feel fear around that. There's nothing wrong with it. So our perceptions then get infected through cultural conditioning, through familial conditioning, through past life conditioning, with ways that we interpret things that, are, that lead to suffering. And one of the ways that we interpret things is uh, through ownership. Mm-hmm. This is me and mine, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So then, uh, because we don't see that, that the sense of ownership, uh, not, not functional ownership, you know, like this is my robe and so on, it's not that kind of sort of new age thing, we're going to change robes tomorrow, something like that, but rather the, you know, the ego kind of, you know, that. That perception then creates all kinds of problems. So if I am, um, if I live in a very um, competitive society and uh, I am a kid and uh, I get my happiness from Facebook, right, and I get 16 thumbs up and a thousand thumbs down, I go into suicidal thoughts or something crazy like that. And that's the perception of self. I am someone who needs to be validated by others and I'm not getting validated and therefore I'm a piece of garbage and you know that's all created. Whereas the Dhamma isn't something that's created. 
So if I if I just see like like sense of fear is just an object, and I don't take it up personally, then it has this has no power over me. Or say like look, go back to worry. Say you know, if I can see worry is just a, uh, an object in nature uh, that comes and goes naturally, then it's not a problem. But because I take it personally, it's my daughter, it's my family, and so on. I pick it up with self narratives, and I run, and I can worry all day, all night, all day, all night. All day. So the perception was infected with a wrong understanding. And wrong understanding in, in Buddhism classically is that to perceive something which is changing as being permanent is ignorance. So inspiration, if you think inspiration is permanent, you're going to suffer when you start to feel uninspired. Right? So, you know, when both of you got married, you probably felt very inspired. <laughs> and then it changed, right? Then that's nature. So to see in that which is impermanent, permanence is ignorance. And that's easy to say, but, you know, you, you, you get that all the time. You know, you really think, oh, yeah, yeah, things are really going well. And then they don't go well. And there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just change. When you when you when you see in in that which is, um, with in that which cannot fulfill you, you seek fulfillment, and that's ignorance. So no no emotion, no relationship, no cheese, <laughs> fruit cheese can ultimately fulfill you because it'll change. It's not that it, that it doesn't taste good, and there is something which can fulfill, and that's the transcendent. Uh, or whatever, because it's not dependent on desire. And then, if you if you perceive that in in that which is not yours, that it's yours, and not that right, yeah. that's also ignorance. Right? So that's where the problem of cause and effect, you know, that's where cause and effect gets uh, um, warped, perverted into suffering. And so what we're trying to do, we're trying to take refuge in suchness and then see how that warping perception keeps creating a sense of self, storylines and narratives, and oh, that's just thought. That's just a thought, it feels this way. So let's say if you, um, you know, you, you, you know, you get, you, you make it, like you make a decision to do something, right? And most decisions when you make to do something, at some point you'll be disappointed. <laughs> and you'll think, I shouldn't have done that decision. Probably all decisions. And but when, when, like, so you make a decision to go right. And you go right for a while and then, well, you feel disappointed. So then you think, I should have gone left. But that's ignorance, because if you would have gone left, you would have come to a point, hmm, should have gone right. Because <laughs> that's the nature of, of confidence and non-confidence of, uh, you know, thinking it was a good choice and then being disappointed. It's just, you can't get it right at that level. So thinking you can, um, you won't see the disappointment, it's just natural, and you keep adapting to what you need. You know, you make the best decisions you can, but to not understand that, uh, that kind of, kind of sense, this is the right path, and then the disappointment of that are actually one piece, part of the same coin, because yeah, one conditions the other. Confidence conditions the lack of confidence. Being sure conditions being doubtful. 
But awareness, awareness knows both. That's why it's transcendent, right? And like, like for, for, for an intellectual, that's very hard because intellectuals want confident answers. And, and, and they like the feeling of confident answers, conclusions. They like conclusions. You know? It's like the, it's a, But awareness isn't a conclusion. It's just... <laughs> it's, that's why it's not, it's not intellectual. Not that we're throwing out intellect. You can use intellect as a tool, but you realize its limits. The more I practice, um, I find... Um, really appreciate uh, awareness and have the gratitude towards awareness itself. That's your refuge, yeah. yeah. Um, just to one time, when I was in the retreat center, was uh, you know lunch time, and uh, everybody queuing up, and this yogi did not realize, you know, it's like her power of food, soap, everything. Just you know, she was talking, wasn't very mindful, and, and I knew I just cannot avoid. It was very packed in Myanmar, you know, two, three hundred yogis with months. And she was not. She was moving. Uh, what yes, was she, she doing? Was, she was carrying her food and she was talking a little bit with other yogi. Which is not done. Yeah. Okay. And then I was very near to her uh-huh. and she carried, you know, and I, I, I knew it was nowhere because it was packed. Oh, oh, and she bumped into you? Yeah, and her food is just all over, you know. Oh, very nice. Yeah. From the top <laughs> to the bottom, you know. And over you or over her? Yeah, yeah, I was... I don't even carry any food, you know. It's, she it's, dumped it on you. She dumped the food all over Very the nice. top. Very nice. Curries know. and everything. Yeah. Nice and, and oily. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, and with the fishy, it was so Oh, very good. You know, and I knew exactly it was coming, you know. And there was no anger and just surrender, accepting. In fact, so much joy, you know. Because you didn't react. No reaction, yeah. and so much joy and appreciate and gratitude, you know, no reaction. It's just, at that moment, so much joy. Yeah. I mean, the Well, smell. it's, you know, and go back to Samasamadhi, isn't that Samasamadhi? Yeah, yeah. Isn't just, that joyous? Because, not because you got something, but because you let go. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. And it, it just, at that moment, the realization was, this is it, this is Dharma. Yeah. You know, it's just so profound. I received this, <laughs> no reaction. How did she do? And she was very embarrassed. <laughs> she went back. <coughs> I don't know exactly how was the situation in Burma, you know, three, four hundred, it was packed, yeah. I mean, um, she went back to her table and she she just uh, took lots of uh, you know napping to and watched, to my table. Watched embarrassment. Yeah, it's all over, and you know I just get quiet and smile. I said, no worry, you know she was uh, yeah, very embarrassed, good. but I told her no worry, you know it's just so much joy. Yeah. And I I just cannot express, you know, and the next day I told. Report we had the interview session with right. um, Silo de Jamia, and I told the incident. And he asked me, So, what do you learn from this? What do you realize? 
And I say so much joy and so much appreciation and refuge to the awareness. Mm -hmm. Nothing else. It's just at that moment, this is it. It's just so simple. Yeah. It's it's the nature. It's it's the mental and physical process. This is it. No problem. No problem. No one there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. You know, it's just appreciation so much. Yeah. The gift of curry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just. And that's it. That's how insight arises. Insight arises in these un uncontrolled ways. Yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful, you know. And and does that insight or that the power of that samadhi or presence has that stayed with you? Yes. Yeah. Very clear. Very very. Um, you know what is going to happen, and it's just surrender. It's mm -hmm. no problem. You know, it's it's the mind was aware, even though I was in the standing position, standing posture. Um, and I remember when Ajahn, I met Ajahn. Yeah, um, Ajahn told me about the refuge, whatever position, whether standing, sitting, or lying down position. And I learned uh, a lot from Ajahn. Got to be 24-7, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right, from the moment. Even uh, between those two. Yes, yes, that's right. Eating yeah. salad. Yeah, shower, <laughs> you know. Woman out, walk out, look at the oh, it's ceiling, it's on which side. Life all right, you know, it's the awareness yeah. starting, you know. And Very. Yeah, thank you, Sadhu Sadhu. Good. Yeah. So simple. <laughs> Very profound. Those are embarrassing moments, aren't they? Kind of, for most people, they got to get very upset. And yeah. But they, I once, I was once in Ottawa Airport, and you know, the the luggage was coming out of the carousel, going around. And <laughs> One poor woman, her luggage had popped open, so her whole world was going around, and you know, like it was, it was all there, and she was so cool. She just got up in the carousel, and she's going around, and she's she's packing her bag, and you know, I thought, like, I mean, I probably would have lost the plot myself. <laughs> That was really funny. <laughs> She's very cool. How are we doing? We have a Vinaya class. I think I need to, we have a Vinaya class soon, so I think. Uh, don't show you're gonna you're gonna leave the chanting up. Huh? Yeah. yeah. What time does puja end? S end. Yeah, it starts at seven. Seven and a forty-five show. sitting. Forty-five minutes sitting. If you want to use the clock. Yeah, great. The the middle button is forty-five minutes. Wonderful. Yeah. And yeah, we, we have a Vinaya. Vinaya, Linda, is our, our monastic discipline. And during this period, we have, we're doing two days a week. It's a kind of um, back to school. <laughs> <laughs> or anyway, it's good fun. Yeah.